Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, or late afternoon, depending on where you may be in the world. It's Eric Olson, and I'm the publisher and founder of blogcritics.org. We're in our new format now, very excited about that, much earlier time, feel a lot more energy coursing through my veins at 6 p.m. than at 9 p.m., and I'm also real excited that the second half of the show is always centered around Blog Critics itself, and tonight we'll be speaking with BC Politics Editor Dave Now, and Philip Wynn and Lisa McKay will be joining us to talk to Dave. Dave will not only be talking about the site itself and his stories and his point of view and how things are going with the politics section, but we will also be talking about other things that he is doing. He is a, he is an important Republican by gum, and uh, we'll be talking about his place in the in the grand hierarchy. In the first half of the show, though, I'll be talking with someone who I I know reasonably well. You know, she lives in the same house as me, and we have to share a bathroom. And man, she even sleeps in the same bed. Holy, holy cow! And that is Don Olson, and she is the publisher of Glosslip.com, which is part of the Blog Critics Radio Network, and it's all we're all now under the grand umbrella of Technorati. Don, are you there? I am here. Super. Well, hey, uh, you used to do a pretty much daily celeb uh, entertainment news chat thingy with um, Sean Daly. With Sean Daly. Yeah, I was just looking at something that looked wrong here. Yes, with our good friend Sean. And uh, that show was discontinued because, man, you can only do so many shows in a day. and, And he's having all kinds of luck with his TV show. In fact, it's on right now. Unfortunately, we're on at the same time. But uh, anyway, so that leaves something of a, uh, a hole, a, a, a gap in those who are seeking your particular take on the celebrity and entertainment news. So I thought we'd get into that a little bit and see what's going on, see if there's anything particularly interesting. And then also maybe we can chat a little bit, if we have time, about some of the things we've been doing because we're pretty – we're pretty serious connoisseurs, or at least uh, consumers anyway, of entertainment, and we watch a lot of DVDs, we watch Blu-rays, we catch a few shows on TV, but the ones we watch, we watch quite regularly and talk about them and analyzing them, analyze them quite a bit. So I thought that would be an interesting way to sort of uh, break into the new show format. This is our second week. We're excited about it. Once again, the new BC Radio Live is now 6 to 7 Eastern every Wednesday. So, Don, what's what's going on over on Glosslip? Well, uh, actually, today is a fairly big day for me personally in writing terms. Um, uh, Kay, our, our other writer, she tends to hold down the fort a lot and fortifies the site with all the important stuff that's going on. And I, I like to delve into personal things of interest. Um, but today I covered a lot of... Uh, current events, and I'll go real quick in order, and I'll, I'll sum them up very briefly, because I would, I would love to talk about our, our viewing habits, because I never really get to talk about TV shows, and I think people think that all I do is sit behind the computer and read about celebrities and all the stupid things they do all day, and surprisingly enough, I, I have a real life, and, uh, you know, like this, I'd like to be able to talk about some of that. So today, first up, 
stories I did, although Kay did indeed cover the uh, Chris Brown Rihanna story, and which is still going on. Apparently, he is pleading not guilty, which begs the question of if he didn't slap the crap out of her, who did? And according to all news reports, they, her lawyers and his lawyers are working in cahoots with one another in order to get the matter cleared up as quickly as possible in, in lawyer talk. So there's that. And I, I do encourage everyone to go and read Kay's story on that because she, she always gives good insight. And uh, a story Kay wrote about yesterday, she, she likes to watch House. And apparently, I believe that's the show that uh, she's referring to here. Yeah, House. And we know all about House because we have a wonderful writer there, BC, who covers it very well. But Cal Penn. Barbara Barnett, who was on last week. Exactly, Barbara Barnett. And I don't know if you're familiar, Eric, with Cal Penn. We watched a movie with him. Oh, um, yeah, I'm very familiar. He was Kumar. in. Yeah, there was uh, the. Uh, the, uh, the the Harold and Kumar movies. We watched the second one, Guantanamo, and uh, you know they're they're broad based kind of uh, pot humors, essentially what it is. Although there's there's some interesting political asides, at least to the to the second one uh, that we saw. But yeah, he's been around quite a bit. He he was a uh, he played a terrorist. I remember a young terrorist, completely different roles. He's he, as an actor. I mean, he's certainly not getting. Stuck in in the uh, in the goofball uh, pothead corner, he's all over the place. No. He, he played a terrorist, a, 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 a serious, well-educated American uh, terrorist in '24. Uh, I don't know, maybe a few seasons ago, two, three seasons ago, anyway. And I remember seeing him in that, and uh, yeah, and now he was this character, uh, a doctor on on House, Doctor Lawrence Kuttner. Exactly. Kay, being on top of all matters relating to shows she watches, uh, she put a spoiler alert yesterday that, that Dr. Lawrence would be uh, no longer doctoring on the show. And what was interesting is they didn't really mention that in the, in the news yesterday. What they mentioned was that he was taking a post at the White House. He's very involved. He was very involved in the Obama campaign. And apparently this is a passion of his. So he sort of left his acting life behind for a while to work uh, at the White House, and I'll just give you a little, a, a brief little description of what he's supposed to be doing. I believe he's working. I, I read about it yesterday. I don't know if Kay. Um, I'm actually looking at the story out. right there, so I, I can okay. fill in. I mean, I'm well, looking. Well, uh, he's doing an outreach with the American public and with different organizations. He's a off. He's associate director for the White House Office of Public Liaison. So that's kind of a that's an interesting job. I'm sure his uh, public uh, you know, face, people kind of knowing who he is, helped him get that job, but also being involved in the Obama campaign and being, you know, a smart guy, I'm sure went a long way to getting that job, but good for him. And, uh, you know, Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty big, that's pretty serious stuff. You know, that's, uh, it's one thing to be known as an actor or, you know, a good actor for that matter. There's not all that many of those. But to be able to transcend that at a, you know, certainly at a relatively young age, I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but I, I can't imagine he's... He's like in his early 30s. Is he in know, his early 30s? 30s? Okay. Can, you know, at least that old. I don't know. Kay's usually pretty good about putting the age. I don't know if she did in this particular story. Um, so that was that story. Of course, that was all over the Internet yesterday because it, it involves politics and celebrity. So, you know, we, plus the house is a huge show. So we we know that uh, that was that was a popular story. Another popular story this week, 
features one of my favorite people to uh, to write about over the years, although I, I haven't written about her lately, simply because, you know, it's overkill. It, it gets to the point where, you know, there's oversaturation of news, but I'm referring to my, my favorite little firecrack, Lindsay Lohan, who, as you know, Eric, in, intimately aware of my likes and dislikes, I've always sort of... Hello? Hello? Can Speak, you hear me? woman. Yes. I am speaking. I get, it interrupted me and said, you are now in the host queue. That was not my fault. Don't blame me. So, to you. Anyway, Lindsay Lohan, as you know, I've always tried to be in her corner while, you know, letting my feelings be known about her individual actions. And, you know, if you go back through Glosslip or Blog Critics, anytime I've written about her, I've always said, she's talented. She's got a lot of promise. She's still young. She can turn it around. Well, she she did something this week that just, mortified me on her behalf. So she, I don't know how involved you are in her, what's been going on in her life, but for the past couple of years, she's been dating uh, DJ Samantha Ronson. Is it a couple now, of years? I, yeah. It's, it's, well, they've been friends for a very long time, but it, it is rumored that despite, you know, her dating other actual, you know, in heterosexual relationships, and she's dated, oh, just gosh, it's, I don't, my arm's not that long to list all the names that she's put on her, uh, Notch there on her belt, but it's a long list. She's apparently, you know, had a kind of on-again, off-again relationship, and now they've, you know, they kind of came out. And at the beginning, a lot of people thought it was publicity. You know, is this very sensational? Here's, you know, Lindsay Lohan, very well-known actress, young actress, who, you know, has become almost more famous for being famous at this point because she hasn't really done anything in a while of any note, and uh, so it was, you know, everybody thought it was just to keep her name in the headlines. So, you know, to a certain degree, I'm a little skeptical about how genuinely interested in that actual relationship, you know, she was. I know that they're close, and they've been friends, but I don't know how serious a lesbian she is. She says she's not a lesbian outside of this relationship. You know how I feel about that, too, so... I don't like people whose, you know, sexual orientation, you know, goes with the wind. Be one or the other and stick with it. So Anne Hayes. Anne Hayes, exactly. Many comparisons to Anne Hayes in this particular case. Um, for for Lindsay, though, you know, I don't know if you remember last summer, Eric, when we were in California, a friend of yours, I won't name who it is, um, gave us a scoop about Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, do, do you recall that? Particular oh yeah, yeah, movie? sure. They were working on that movie. At the party, right? Right. We will just we'll be very vague. But he gave me a scoop that I had a month before anybody else about her being uninsurable. They had this great script, sounded really interesting. They, were, you know, it, it eventually was made. They did find an insurance company willing to insure her. But this is kind of after she had, you know, a lot of, um, you know, she was arrested and she just. She had problems on her last movie, several of her last movies, including going back to Georgia Rule and um, that movie with uh, the Harrison, Garrison Keillor movie, you know, Prairie Home Companion. A lot of issues revolving around her ability to show up on time. She calls him sick a lot. So, you know, she had already had problems. Then she was having legal troubles and relationship problems. She's, you know, she's a mess. Well, so, you know, I had the scoop. I didn't go with it simply because, I figured, oh, my God, she's got a job. Let's not ruin it for her. You know, if she can get this job going, maybe she'll get her life back on track. That's the kind of gossip writer I am. I am never one sitting in the corner, want to see people fail, unless, you know, Paris Hilton or something, 
I tend to want to see people do well, and I'm not the kind of want to sabotage people. Of course, you know, a few weeks later, somebody else broke the story, and I just think, eh, that's, that's, that's the way it goes. But Lindsay, she had this big breakup, including, you know, rumors of them getting restraining order. Apparently, Samantha Ronson's family, let me give you a little background about them real quick. Her father is, um, the stepfather is the lead singer of Foreigner. Who's that, Lou Graham? Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's her stepfather. Her mother, she's sister Charlotte. Her brother's Mark Ronson, very well-known DJ producer. You know, he's, everybody knows who he is. Uh, so yeah, she comes from Samantha in the British. She comes from a fairly famous family. Her sister's a you know clothing designer, and her dad's uh, stepfather, Lou Graham. So they had this relationship, and apparently Samantha's family just said, you know, Lindsay, everybody seemed to blame Samantha in this whole thing, but it really, as it turns out, it was Samantha kind of holding Lindsay together, and then Lindsay slowly unraveled and was bringing Samantha down. So her family held an intervention where they said, that's enough, you know, Samantha. You, you can't have Lindsay in your life anymore. you got to break it off. So they held this intervention. They had this event for her sister Charlotte. Lindsay came to a head. Lindsay was completely, they had to hire five bodyguards to keep her out. She showed up anyway, turning into a big brouhaha. You know, Lindsay getting kicked out of this party. No, and So what happens is, after all this, you know, three or four days of controversy, Lindsay on her Twitter, on her, you know, Facebook, and her, you know, MySpace complaining about, you know, how she's been treated, she goes to Us Magazine and spills her guts in what had to have been some sort of drug-fueled, you know, state, because she just basically tells Us Magazine, I'm a mess, no one wants to work with me, I'm a loser, and I suck. And I just think, you know, the worst thing you can do ever is confirm the rumors by going to one of these, you know, magazines because then it's then it's confirmed. It's not it's not speculation anymore. You can no longer, you know, say I have no comment. So and this is just a long story about how, you know, it, it's to the point now where Lindsay just this is this is her final stretch. She's got to get her act together. It's unfortunate that somebody is as talented as she is is such a mess. But I end the story saying that, you know. Look at Drew Barrymore. Look at Robert Downey Jr. Look at Mickey Work. These are three people who have clearly come through, you know, the wormhole of Hollywood and come out on the other side to be very successful people. And she could do it too, or she could end up being like a River Phoenix or an Anna Nicole Smith. So it's totally up to Lindsay. And, you know, I'm rooting for her, but, you know, I have my reservations because she's a mess. Uh, and then I'll skip over the No Doubt covers Adamant. You know how I feel about Adamant. And I do not like the No Doubt of Stand and Deliver, their cover of it, stinky. And then the latest story, and this will be my last one, is Billy Bob Thornton did a did an interview on CBC, and I'm assuming that's the Canadian Broadcasting Company, and it was a train wreck. Now, I don't, you're a music guy. Have you ever heard of this band called the Boxmasters? That's his band. Yeah, I mean, we have the... We, meaning you and I, I we're, you know, we're married, we share stuff. Yeah, we have their um, Christmas album uh, okay. you know, that came out for last year, and or maybe it was even the year before. And I, But this year was the first time I actually sat down and listened to it. And it, it, it's not bad, you know. I mean, I, I can, you know, he's not without talent. He works in the... He works in the Americana kind of vein, you know, it's kind of a roots right. rock type, retro roots rock kind of thing. He, you know, he can sing, okay, and that one is, um, the, the Christmas one is, is 
a fairly jaundiced, you know, view of of Christmas as you might. Oh, like uh, Bad Santa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah kind, kind of the musical version, although not not quite that bad. And and there are there are you know sentimental moments that kind of balance it out. But um, yeah, I forgot about the the parallels between that and Bad Santa. But uh, anyway, it's not bad. You know, the band itself are yeah. they're obviously competent. They're okay. You know, I mean he's he's not embarrassing himself. It's no, it is adequate music, which is kind of how I describe it. I said it's okay. He describes it. They describe it as a mix of British invasion and like rock, you know, rockabilly kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's, that's what exactly it is. what it sounds like. And, and it's it's fine, you know. It's okay. But what's really okay? So here's let me set this up real quick because I do want to talk about some other stuff. I don't want to bore your audience. Apparently, you know, in, in the I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce the uh, interviewer's name, which I do listen here is John. Yomeshi? I don't know. It's, it's an interesting name. He does a whole series for, you know, this, this, this station. And the guys, are, he gets 100% kudos from me for, for how he handled himself, despite having to deal with the most hostile interviewee ever. Okay, so what happens is, you know, Billy Bob Thornton, everybody knows him because he's an actor. And, but apparently, you know, he's put out his own music for years, and, you know, he thinks he's something of a musician, compares himself to Tom Petty, which really cracks me up. So right from the beginning, um, Billy Bob Thornton is all pissed off because uh, the interviewer just, you know, mentions, oh, and, you know, Billy Bob Thornton, you know, he's known as, you know, actor, screenwriter, and and musician, and, you know, he actually mentions that he's an actor. So that's it, hostile mode from then on. So initially he asked him, so you're on, you know, this tour with Willie Nelson. Have you met Willie Nelson? Billy Bob goes, what do you mean by that? I, I don't understand your question. <laughs> so, so the interview is just dumbfounded, staring, you know, like you're on tour and, you know, if you met him, what do you, what do you think of Willie? Did his music influence you? I don't understand what you're saying. So he just had this attitude right from the beginning. So then when he goes in and he asks Billy Bob, you know, he's talking to the other bandmates too and they're just sort of confused but trying to, you know, answer the questions as best they can. It's clear Billy Bob's annoyed by the affiliations with his how he, how everyone knows him, and so I'm just going to read you a minor example of, of from from the interview, but you got to read see the whole thing. It's it's just a classic, you know. It's every interviewer's worst nightmare when you have just not even a, an uninterested interviewee, but somebody who's hostile towards you, like has just cops and attitudes. So so there, I watched the whole thing. And he asked him, okay, so Billy Bob, you know, you're obviously passionate about music and, you know, growing up. Hello? Hello, speak. Okay, it keeps coming in and telling me I'm off the host queue, sorry. So I have to, you know, I don't want to be talking into a vacuum. You're here, babes. Hey, don't get snippy with me or I'll pull a Billy Bob on you. So... He says to, uh, he, he goes, well, what was it like growing up? You know, what music influenced you? Billy Bob goes into a five-minute dissertation about a monster magazine contest he entered in response to this question about what music influenced you. And he said, uh, oh, you know, so I built, a, you know, King Kong, and it was a really big deal when I was a kid. That's how he concluded it. And the interviewer says, oh. And he, and he sort of laughs. He goes, okay, but so how does that relate to music? And Billy Bob's like, well, it doesn't. So then he says, well, you seem, given that you seem quite passionate about music, I was wondering about your 
Julie Bob, totally custom off, says, would you say that to Tom Petty? Interviewer says, would I say that he's passionate about music? Yeah. Yes, I'd say that. Really? Would you explain why it's not a hobby? This is Billy Bob. Interviewer says, are you reacting to the fact that I asked about cuts him off again? He says, yeah, I am. Since you were instructed not to talk about that shizzle, uh, I'll keep it clean for the radio. And it just spirals out of control from there. And, and he ends up refusing to play with the band. He makes the, bland, the band play an instrumental and claims it's because Billy Bob says he's the drummer and we don't cart our drum kit around for 6 a.m. interviews. So those two guys can, over there, they can play an instrumental for you. I'm not performing. And it was the worst thing I've ever seen. And so it makes me wonder, do you do something like that to create controversy so everybody's talking about it and listens to your band, or are you just a total a-hole? So I will leave it to you to figure that one out. Yeah, I think he's pretty well known as being erratic and being a jerk. And, you know, I mean, you've interviewed people. I've interviewed hundreds of people. And, you know, the great majority of the time, everyone's on the same page. It's a win-win both ways, right? They're promoting whatever they're promoting. They're getting the word out about whatever it is they're getting the word out about. And you, as the interviewer, are are getting material. That ultimately, that's that's the exchange. You know, it's it's a uh, it's a commodity exchange like anything else. So, uh, you know, most of the time, the great majority of the time, both parties are aware of all of that, and you know, more or less, do what they need to do to get along and to address the situation at hand. You know, people get snippy from time to time. From time to time, when you're doing an interview with a person who has, you know, multiple interests or or there are multiple activities, you will be told, okay, this person doesn't want to talk about anything other than, you know, X. The current project is usually what that is. Uh, you know, don't don't get into all the other stuff. So that's not terribly unusual. But usually once you're talking to them, you know, if it comes up, if something comes up organically in the course of the discussion, then, you know, they typically go along with it and understand that you're just talking to them and and all that. But, you know, once in a while, I mean, no matter how hard you try, you just run into a buzzsaw. You know, you just run into open hostility. They're not interested in doing the interview. It probably has nothing to do with the individual. You know, it can be a time of day. If this was an early morning thing, you know, you get people who think that they're they're better than this. I shouldn't have to be doing this. And, you know, they lose sight <laughs> of the fact that you're just as much doing them a favor as they are doing you a favor. And, and the whole thing falls apart, and it's tough. You know, I, I don't think we've run into that at all that I could think of. We've had a few that weren't great, but nothing, you know – that hostile, nothing, nothing openly hostile, I suppose, since we've been doing the, you know, the blog talk radio stuff. But, you know, in the past, I've I've run into people from time to time who just, for whatever reason, you know, it's just not happening, and and it's a very difficult situation, and, and the per it's it, it's extremely egotistical on the part of the hostile person, which is almost always. The interviewee, or I guess we're assuming it's the interviewee. There, there, there are certainly hostile interviewers as well out there, who are who are looking to make a name for themselves, going in the other direction. But assuming the goodwill of the interviewer, you know, there's just people who 
for whatever reason, they think they're better than it. They just don't want to be there. They're sick of it. They're, they've been on a long, long, you know, you, it's always dangerous to get someone when they're like toward the end of a publicity tour where they've been doing interview after interview after interview. And it feels, you know, they, they can't remember who they're talking to. And they just keep saying the same stuff over and over and over again. You know, I think we've had pretty good luck with kind of breaking people out of that shell because I, I always try real hard to make people understand that I really am interested in having a conversation with them. You know, it's not just uh, about asking the automatic questions and, and uh, you know, I'm genuinely interested in what they think and what they have to say about things. So, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, it, it's it's too bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I people time tells. Uh, people, I think, have the pretty good. I, I don't think his character in in Bad Santa is is that far off the mark. I'm afraid to say. I mean, I have the impression he's something of a smug jerk. You know, he. I know he worked really hard for a long time before he made it, and usually that makes people somewhat more gracious. You know. Than, than otherwise, but sometimes it also makes them resentful, and I think he's one of the resentful ones. We have another caller who is five one two. Are you there? Yes. Do you this have is, a you qu- yeah? This is there? this is Dave. This is Dave Nall. I was told. Dave, to you're here. All right. Well, yeah. we'll keep you on the line. We got five minutes until uh, your segment, so Don and I are chatting away here. We got five more minutes. We're, we're we were trying to get into a little bit of what we watch and, and talk about that. So anyway, Don, real quick, since we only have five minutes until uh, until Philip and Lisa and Dave come on, uh, let's, and, and you're welcome to stay for that too, by the way, um, for the, the BC segment, Don. Uh, so let's talk about what we're watching. We just, the most, most immediately, uh, just last night, our, our TV schedule is very limited. We watch Monday, we watched 24, and this year, I think it's a real, real good year. But by this time of the season, we're about, what, 80% through or something like that. Uh, the last couple years, uh, well, certainly last year, uh, you know, we, I had pretty well lost interest, and, and it just seemed formulaic, and, man, it was just piling one thing after well, another. It wasn't on last year. Remember, that was the Well, drug. I'm talking about the last season. Oh, the that last it was, season, yeah. That it, it was, was on. It was the last season, but this year's good. They had the... You know, there was the redemption, and then that two-hour movie they did, which I think was a good lead-in. It show. was. It was. I think it was really good because what it did is it stripped away. It was like a palate cleanser. You know, it stripped away all this sort of accumulated baggage that the show has had o- over all the years, and it brought it back down to the bare essentials. You know, just Jack against on a very personal level. They didn't get into all the meta stuff and you know, high-level government stuff. I mean, you didn't even know what was going on, really, much apart from what was happening to him very personally and specifically. And he was he was working incognito at this school, uh, you know, for kids in Africa, and then they came under attack because of this this uh, bloodthirsty dictator making a, a power play and, and stealing kids to use them as soldiers and all this stuff. So it was very personal, and, and I thought it worked really well as a result of that because it brought it back down to the personal. And, in, and even though we're certainly back to the high-level stuff, you know, we got the president, the first female president is a major character again. The character's a bigger bigger character this year than the president has been for a while, I think. 
And so, uh, you know, we're certainly seeing the high-level stuff, but uh, it's also very personal. And I and I care about the president. I'm, I'm I'm suspicious of the daughter. I'm not really sure what she's up to. She seems to be on a personal, uh, some sort of you know personal power trip type thing, and who knows what else. But um, you know, it, it's 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 also a fairly interesting and plausible plot and it's an unusual uh, uh, terrorist group and one you know at first you go no way but when you hear how it's presented and see kind of the presentation of it it really is fairly fairly plausible you know something like that possibly could happen where people you know a company uh, builds up a a mercenary army and becomes used to, you know, in essence, representing the government, uh, our government, and 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 loses sight of who they are and what they're doing, and becomes protective of themselves. And that's what's happened to this one. It's really pretty interesting. And John Voight, man, he is a menacing character. He's doing a good job. Yes, he is a menacing character. Yeah, I I, I like Twenty Four this year. I, I'm glad we've added actually some some new shows to our repertoire. I see we're we're down to one minute. Maybe we'll have to I'll have to come on again and we'll we'll focus on that because you know I have opinions and I like to share them. Well, Tuesday night, so that was last night, we watched Reaper, and man, I I think that show has taken a big jump from last year to this year in quality. Oh, it's great. I think the writing's really tightened up. The characters are character are, development is really good. Right, are even better defined, and you know it's it's uh, it's great stuff. I think it's it's interesting. It really parallels the supernatural, which we also watch. It's interesting that they're on the same network, and you know there are, but it, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin, but they're very different sides. Whereas one emphasizes the humor, but has scary stuff. Uh, that being Reaper, uh, Supernatural certainly emphasizes the scary stuff, but then also has humor. Yes, it does. And, and I do like the characters, and I like how they interact with each other. And I would certainly love to talk about it, but I don't want to encroach on uh, Mr. Nall's uh, time. And as you know, well, I have to dinner and all that stuff. Mr. Nall is here, and I have something to say about Supernatural. I don't know if you've heard, but it's going off the air. What? Yeah, one no. thing more, the... The uh, producer has decided he doesn't want to do it anymore. Really? Oh, yes. Yeah. When did that happen? Uh, I have ties to the teen community that shares this information. I'm not. Sure, I guess to this week. Wow. So I hear from my 17 year old daughter. Wow. Well, that wow. would make me sad. I'm gonna have to do a little Google search on that. So you guys carry on while, while I go find out if I'm gonna have to cry all night long. <laughs> I don't know if I can live without my Sam and Dean, man. Oh, oh they're both they're having their careers go go forward anyway. So. Uh, well, they started, they both starred in um, two, like, you know, what, what would you call those, slasher flicks, you know, the, the Friday 13th remake and um, My Bloody Valentine remake or whatever that was. And so, you know, <laughs> I'd say there'd be a typecast. Let's hope that that gets improved. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking. Uh, line, I'm, so I'm going to get off. I'm doing a search right now, and uh, there's nothing new on it. It's been it's come up before in the past that it might be, but uh, eh, there's nothing new yet that has made it to the interwebs, as they say. All right, well, let's bring on 
Philip Wynn and Lisa McKay. Philip being the head tech guru of Blog Critics, Lisa McKay being our executive editor. And we are joined for the Blog Critics half hour of the show with our politics editor, Dave Nell. So, hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. What's happening? Lisa, are you there? Is Lisa there? Let's Lisa see. has typed a word in the in the chat section. I am here. Can you not hear me? Yes. There now we go. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I I just wanted to say that a moment ago my phone dropped the call. So if I suddenly disappear, uh you'll know what happened to me. Well that would be oh so grim. This is well, you know. It doesn't happen that often, but every now and then you know, I love the iPhone, but every now and then it drops me. Philip, what's the hand mean with the little hand with the arrow on the? Uh, I believe I believe that uh, people can call in on the show if they want to ask questions. Uh, just a quick shout out: the number six four six five nine five three one nine five. And uh, normally, when you call in, you just put in the queue to listen. But if you actually want to ask a question or get the host's attention, you can press one. And that raises the little hand on the switchboard in theory. So you probably have a little hand next to mine. Ah, got it. Okay, yes. Totally, totally comprehend. All right. Well, Lisa and Philip, too, you guys did such a great job last week. Well, why don't, why don't I uh, leave it primarily to you to, uh, to get into our discussion with Dave? Okay. I, I actually have some, by way of introduction, uh, some of Dave's vital statistics from Blog Critics. Um, in, case, in case you didn't know how long you've been around, Dave, you published your first article at BC in December of 2004. Yeah. And wow. you've written about 600 articles for us since then. And you joined the editorial staff at its inception in 2005. Uh, Dave is currently the head of Blog Critics' busy and sometimes rambunctious politics section. And in real life, Dave is a political activist, a font designer by profession, and he lives with his family in Texas, which I understand is a country unto itself. Or so we want it to be. Or so you want it to be. <laughs> and Dave, you have an interest in barbecue as well, right? Yeah, I've written some series of barbecue articles, but Texas is all about barbecue. So. <laughs> That's right. Which is probably reason enough to visit there, I think. I've never been to Texas, but I like barbecue. You can go oh, from one corner of the other and eat barbecue. <laughs> you have to come. We can uh, we can park you in Waco, halfway between Dave uh, Dave down in Austin and me up in Dallas. <laughs> we don't want to put anyone in Waco. No, that's right. That's true. I have a, I have a feeling I'd be more welcome in Austin than I would anyplace else. Almost certainly. But Dave, anyhow. how do you handle hanging out with all these hippies and freaks in Austin, man? Although I think you're suburban, aren't you? I am, but but I relate to hippies and freaks pretty well. I thought so. You're you're an ecumenical people. People misunderstand. They misunderestimate you. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of us are, are former hippie types who who became more conservative with time, but still, I mean, as a libertarian Republican, I'm I'm not exactly your Bible thumping, you know, uh, Midwestern crazy. I'm I'm more of the court kind of individual liberty, free will Republican, of which there are quite a few these days. Sure. We, well, we, we, we leave go ahead. The, the Midwestern religious right crazy stuff to me, and they, they've 
uh, carves out the uh, the libertarian end of things. No, I, I will say this about you, Dave. Uh, I think that people who read your articles on the site, and of course there are 600 and some of them now, so it'll take someone a while to, to dig through if they start at the beginning. Uh, but I think people who just read your articles and your comments on the site might develop a certain impression of you that having met you in person, I have to say is, uh, I don't know, the, the online persona is not quite right. You're, uh, you're far, more, far more winsome than your uh, articles give you uh, credit for. <laughs> uh, it's difficult to communicate that in, in writing, I guess. Uh, and, winsome. And I like that. You win some fellow. That, that, sounds, that sounds a little bit like a sort of waist-like girl, but that <laughs> certainly would not describe me physically. No, um, no, you're you're a you're a sturdy fellow. A, a man of substance. There's a lot of you there. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm reminded of the first time Lisa met me and said that my online persona was gruff and mean, but in person I was just a big teddy bear. So I was trying to avoid the teddy bear reference. <laughs> Well, to, to Dave's credit, I think um, I, I think his writing approach is is more of a you know quite serious policy oriented thing. I think I think that's why he probably downplays the lighter side of his personality, at least in the politics stories, because he's got a very specific point. He's trying to make that point in the you know in the most direct manner to follow that path directly and you know frankly you don't want to give your 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 awaiting potential uh foes your your policy foes you don't want to give them a lot of material to work with in terms of on the on the personal level you know you can't reveal a whole lot i think when when that's your specific goal so i mean i i, I agree in person you know dave's a a friendly, downright, potentially jolly individual, and you know, quite non-threatening, and, and a, a polymath, a man who has many, many interests, and can talk about all kinds of things, including pop culture, quite easily. But you know, in, in his writing role in the politics section, anyway, I think he, you know, has serious points to make and wants to be taken seriously, and. That leads to a a, a a more stern presentation. For, for those who are <laughs> well, for those who've only read maybe one or two articles or no articles, Dave, how how would you describe your political view? Other maybe slightly expand on libertarian wing of the Republican Party. Well, uh, the whole point, I mean, and, and it's really taking off right now. This this idea of of trying to go back to the constitutional roots of the country and try to undo a lot of the negative changes which have taken place in the last couple of decades as far as the growth of government and the expansion of government power. I mean, that's a lot of what it's, it's about right now. Um, the idea of libertarianism uh, is to uh, try to have a government which, which only provides those needed services that are legitimate to a, a government that can't be taken care of either in the private sector or by individuals themselves. Um, that means things like basic policing authority, uh, you know, justice system, um, providing for certain infrastructure services which, which are impractical uh, without a government being involved. A, a minimal government, but not no government at all. Um, and libertarian Republicans as a group uh, believe the Republican Party, which started out as that kind of a party and, and has had moments of promoting a kind of, of basic, functional, uh, liberty-oriented government, uh, can go back to that, those values and be the best vehicle for promoting that idea. 
who would you say was the last Republican or last president, I guess, of any party, but presumably your answer will be a Republican president, who embodied any reasonable percentage of these ideals? Uh, well, reasonable percentage. A lot of people would argue that Ronald Reagan did. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely convinced of that. Reagan certainly, well, I mean, I don't know if you, where your reasonable percentage If your reasonable percentage is 40%, then I'd say Reagan. Um, <laughs> if your reasonable percentage is a little higher than that, um, and actually with, with politicians, being even 40% right is pretty good. Um, I would go back to Teddy Roosevelt as somebody who sort of represented uh, trying to create a government which, which did the things that were needed but perhaps didn't overstep its bounds. Um, Roosevelt was a little bit out of control in some areas, but he basically uh, believed in a sort of a, a equitable system of government where uh, the role of government was to um, regulate and control without imposing or dictating policy uh, to people or to the private sector. Um, how he would have fared in a modern environment, I don't know. Um, but of course, the, the, big, the big figure that libertarian Republicans look to is, is Barry Goldwater. Um, who wasn't elected president, in fact, had a disastrous presidential campaign in 64, um, but who, who then and since then uh, was a voice for this trend within the Republican Party uh, towards smaller government and uh, more reasonable government. In your heart, you know he's right. Uh, certainly by now we realize it. In your mind, you know he's insane. Was In your guts, you know he's nuts, yeah. Um, yeah he was very, I mean, that's, that's part of the problem. Goldwater was so ideologically, it was very easy to um, portray as being kooky and, and, and mount a very negative campaign against which is what Johnson did. It's interesting to me that you hold up uh, Teddy Roosevelt as, as perhaps the last good example that, that was elected. I, I recently read a book called uh, God and Gold, Walter Russell Mead, in which he describes the difference between uh, American Democrats and American Republicans as being fast Whigs and slow Whigs, uh, which, is say, which is to say the Republicans don't really, really want to stop things or go backwards so much as they want to slow things down. Well, I, I'm, I'm certainly in favor of slowing things down. I think radical change uh, in the way we do, do business is not necessarily a good thing, especially when uh, you know, it may be hard to reverse the changes that take place. I mean, we see a lot of change going on right now. Right, and that, that actually, what, what you're saying there is kind of one of the critiques I have. I mean, I was a pretty hardcore libertarian when I was younger, and uh, I've, I've grown out of it somewhat, but it still pretty much informs most of my views. Um, but part of my problem is the idea that, it, hey, if we were starting from scratch, we could paint a society any way we wanted, but we're not. We're starting from a society in which an incredibly high percentage of people is, you know, relies on, uh, for lack of a better word, I guess I'll use entitlements, but they, they rely on regular income, say, from the government for various reasons, um, and, and changing that overnight is, is a tough one. No, radical change in a positive direction would be as dangerous and disruptive as radical change in a negative direction would be in some ways. But there's no reason why we shouldn't be trying to find ways to, to try to mainstream uh, everyone into a more um, sort of individual-based, uh, more more self-reliant uh, situation in, in the country. Uh, expanding the level of government entitlement is certainly not the solution. Um, radically okay. decreasing it may not be, be viable, uh, but certainly trying to find alternative solutions to some of those um, situations which create the need for all those government entitlements is something that we ought to make a priority. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your work with the Republican, is it the Republican Leadership Council, the Republican no, Liberty, Liberty Caucus? It's very confusing. We have two groups, the Republican Leadership Council, which is a liberal Republican group, 
and the Republican Leadership Caucus, which is a libertarian Republican group, um, and they, they have the same initials, and it's confusing. But the Republican Leadership Council is basically moribund. Um, they, they aren't doing anything I can figure out. And the RLC is growing, the Republican Liberty Caucus is growing very quickly. Um, because of all the stuff that's going on with these tea parties, um, with all the sort of Ron Paul activisms out there with the Campaign for Liberty, uh, the Republican Liberty Caucus has really attracted a lot of interest, and our membership is expanding. We've got chapters now in 28 states, um, probably, hopefully, 38 or 40 states uh, by the end of the year. And uh, membership uh, nationwide is, is over 10,000, um, which isn't a huge number of people. Those are people who are actually activists enough to pay dues and be involved members of the organization. Um, and, of course, as, as uh, I guess you all know, I was elected chairman of the RLC, um, there was there was some screaming at the time. <laughs> well, I was I was running unopposed, so it wasn't that that challenging. Um, we get a lot of that here. Key to politics, you know, as the as our friends the communists discovered, is man running unopposed rules. It, it is certainly less less nervous making than running opposed. <laughs> it's much uh, easier to plan the events of election night when you're running unopposed. And it does, does give you more opportunity to, to think about things in advance, certainly, uh, and get a, get a running start, too, which I think we, we have done, um, trying to get a little more publicity and promotion for the organization and, and make sure that we have some clearly defined goals of what we want to achieve. Um, if you go to our website at rlc.org, um, I've got an essay on there which sort of outlines some of my goals, um, which include expanding our chapters by at least 10 and hopefully 12 new chapters uh, by the end of the year. Um, and also trying to increase the public profile of the organization to get more of our people on uh, television and radio um, to get the message out that we exist and that we're doing these things, that we have candidates out there. Um, you know, the Libertarian Party has been around since uh, the early 1970s. The Libertarian Party has essentially no one elected to major public office. Uh, the Republican Liberty Caucus has uh, a dozen, actually more than a dozen congressmen elected who are members of our group. Um, we have members in elective office uh, at major, major elective office in virtually every state. Um, we have candidates running for office nationwide. Um, just here in Texas, we've got about a dozen candidates running for office um, in, this, in this interim election, um, and we'll have more running in the, in the major election in 2012. Uh, we, have, we have an actual you know, position and influence, which is one of the reasons why, uh, despite having been a long-term libertarian party person, back in 2002 I decided to change, go back to the Republican Party and get involved in the Republican Liberty Caucus because it, it's got more potential for actually getting something done uh, than the Libertarian Party, which has a sort of chronic problem with being an outsider group, which is unwilling to compromise in any way to actually, actually get things done. So your idea is that you can accomplish more within the Republican Party than uh, outside of the process completely, basically. Right, and it's, it's especially true right now when the Republican Party has no idea what the hell they're doing. Um, there's, there's no, I mean, Michael Steele is an interesting guy and very appealing and has a nice public persona and is likable. Um, but he doesn't really have a handle on where the party's going. Uh, he's taking input from various sources, and there's an opportunity for some group to come in and set the tone for where the party's going to go uh, over the next few years. And the RLC hopefully will contribute to that uh, and push us in a more positive direction, um, moving away perhaps from the religious right, uh, from the neocons, and sort of in a more positive direction that will represent the liberty wing of the party. Dave, so um, I, I'm interested in the in, – in, uh, I think that's a really good point to make about all the elected officials and the difference between 
that's what's always I had a period where I was certainly at least leaning or sympathetic to libertarianism in general and and, I, and there's certainly still areas where where I'm sympathetic I mean certainly the basic principle of boiling government down to what is most important and do those things really well you know, I mean, uh, almost who can argue with that? But which of the uh, national, and I would I imagine we're talking about congressmen, who, who would you say is kind of quintessential in terms of representing the, the your organization, the ideals of your organization? Most RLC members would say Ron Paul, uh, but I don't necessarily hold with that. Ron Paul has his own agenda and his own issues, and he's much more uh, radical in many ways than the mainstream of the RLC. Uh, the person I would hold up probably would be Jeff Slake from Arizona, um, who may not be all that well-known, but he really is uh, sort of – he's sort of, kind of like Ron Paul with a practical streak, um, and he has promoted sort of a lot of positive bills, and, and he's been sort of on the right side of almost every issue, voting against the Patriot Act, voting against uh, a lot of the excesses of the Bush administration, and then now when Obama's in power, um, leading in, in many ways the opposition to the stimulus and, and some of the big spending plans that they've got going. Uh, not that anyone's paying any attention to what the Republicans are doing anymore, um, but he'd be a, a good example to hold up. Interesting. So have you found that with the Obama election, you know, someone who's who's pretty clearly um, a, a liberal, quote-unquote, I mean... We were currently describing him as a communist. Okay. Well, communist, then, uh, at least on the uh, economic front. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting where things are going. Uh, anyway, um, can, can, so, I just, can I just sigh here? That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to sigh. Okay, okay move on. Sigh. <laughs> so with Obama uh, in in the White House and the current economic environment leading to a rather extreme uh, approach by the government that was started by a Republican, <laughs> George Bush, yeah. uh, the the uh, governmental approach, the governmental answer. Are you finding that that is making it easier to recruit? I mean, you know, are we seeing a, a reaction well, against all this? Is that is that going start, on? With you? Starting starting about halfway through Bush's time in office, and building towards now, there's been a groundswell of people who are opposed to this expansion of government. Um, starting with opposition to Bush's various sort of anti-constitutional moves against the Fourth Amendment with torture and and with FISA and with the Patriot Act. Um, and, and now sort of growing uh, into the economic realm with, with Obama's out-of-control spending uh, with the stimulus package, you know there's something wrong when the European countries uh, are troubled by the amount of, of excessive spending that the United States is doing. That's something that has never happened before. The Europeans have always been the ones who wanted to spend money on social programs and on sort of make work and, and getting people you know, government jobs and all that kind of thing. Well, all of a sudden, the Europeans are turning against us on – on economic grounds, um, there's a big conflict growing right now between Obama and Sarkozy. I don't know if any of you have uh, seen any of the sort of indicator, indicators of this. Sarkozy mm -hmm. feels that Obama has snubbed him during his recent trip to Europe. Um, wouldn't meet with Obama. W Obama wouldn't meet with him. Um, he, all they had was a two-hour conference call when Obama met with Gordon Brown uh, and with other leaders, but not with Sarkozy because Sarkozy wants uh, to have a more conservative approach to government, wants to reduce spending, uh, wants to sort of increase fiscal responsibility and doesn't believe in all these bailouts and stimulus type things that Obama's promoting. Right. The interesting thing about that was that Sarkozy really went out on a limb in France while campaigning, uh, being a friend to the United States. 
And uh, so he he definitely feels like he he you know he risked much. He uh, got in trouble, for example, for speaking too much uh, English during the campaign. So uh, with a few weeks to go, he switched to French only. Um, and you know, Sarkozy, you know, when 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 Obama was in England, Sarkozy actually sent his personal plane to England to give Obama a ride to visit him in France for a brief meeting, and Obama wouldn't even do it under those circumstances. Well, I, I'm glad my uh, social schedule isn't uh, as as busy or as fraught with peril as, as the president. I, well, why did he do it? Why did Obama do that? Ignore Sarkozy? Yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do because France has gone more conservative. Not as conservative as Germany is going, um, but they're, you know, they're becoming very anti-Islamic. Um, they've become very uh, outspoken on, on sort of financial reforms. Sarkozy has uh, cut the power of the unions in France. Um, he's opened up uh, working opportunities. Um, he's gotten rid of a lot of this legislation that existed in France, which limited how many hours you could work in a week, which penalized people working overtime. Um, and he's done a lot of these things which sort of reverse the kinds of things which Obama, I think, would like to implement here in the United States. Um, he's sort of taking his movement in a different direction. It, it is um, interesting to see how many people have what they claim are principled stands uh, that turn out to shift rather rapidly when the when the facts on the grounds change. So, you know, when it's when it's Bush doing this or when it's Reagan doing this or Clinton doing this, it's one thing. But when it when it flips around and it's the other party, all of a sudden that thing is just so excusable. And it does seem like France falls into that category. Bush was a moron for not seeking the approval of France, but uh, now the approval Bush could have very easily won over a lot of support in Europe if he had just done a few small things. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, he, he right did. Way. Yeah, he, he was he was mistaken, I believe. But but many of the people who said he was more than mistaken, now it doesn't seem to bother them at all to completely shape, change their minds now that the president has a different name. Yeah, well, it, 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 he's still he's still in to some degree in that honeymoon period uh, where people want to give him the benefit of the doubt on a lot of things. But another telling thing that came out in the news today is that Ireland, which is one of the hardest hit countries in Europe from the recession. Um, the finance minister of Ireland just came out today and said that they were not going to engage in any kind of stimulus or any kind of bailouts. Um, and, you know, AIG is based in Ireland. Right. They, they offshored themselves to avoid American taxes like many companies do. Mm -hmm. What's the answer yeah. then from, you know, from the Republican libertarian perspective to the economic situation just, Hands off. Let let the economy take its course. I think that a hands off approach would be better than what we're doing, um, but I think there might be other solutions which would be more creative, uh, which might be better still. Um, I think that uh, stimulating the economy uh, without spending money would be the thing to, to sort of look at. Um, one of the ways to do that, and most people find me insane when I say this, would be to eliminate all corporate taxes. Um, one of the things which has weakened America's economy consistently over the last few decades is the high level of corporate taxation. Um, we've now reached a level where we have the highest corporate taxes in the world, except for Japan, depending on how you count it. Um, and that has caused a lot of companies like AIG to go overseas, um, to look for other countries to base their operations in so they don't have to pay as much corporate tax here in the United States. Um, if we could encourage the companies to come back to the United States, if we could make our country the tax haven that they're looking for, um, then that would increase employment. And increasing employment alone uh, would have, <coughs> sorry, I have a bit of a cold, would have a great effect in reversing the impact uh, of the recession. 
Now, at the same time, with cutting corporate tax rates, which uh, I agree with, by although it's interesting to note, by the way, that one of the big arguments for cutting corporate tax rates up until, say, six months ago was the success of Ireland, uh, which did that and attracted companies such as, for example, AIG. Um, right. Now, of course, they're, they're in almost as much economic hurt as we are, so that's, that's an interesting factor. But uh, I, that was just an observation, not my question. But, um, but you know, Ireland has shown a great deal of wisdom when it comes to managing their economy. And if right. they now think that, that stimulus and bailout is not the solution to their problem, um, then you have to wonder, are they still as smart as they were, or are they crazy? And I have a feeling that they're probably going to be proven right. Now, in addition to cutting corporate taxes, though, at the same time, are you looking at other, you know, perhaps balancing or, or concurrent changes? And because, because one of the complaints right now when you talk about cutting corporate taxes is that most of us either know or believe that we know that there are plenty of ways to, to, to fool the IRS into thinking that everything is corporate income and still, you know, managing to be pretty wealthy at the same time. Are there, are you thinking about ways to change that or just saying that the, the uh, reverse moral hazard of that has to be a, you know, less important than the employment? Well, it has become the practice that the biggest way to, to fool the IRS is to offshore your, your business in some way. So you have these businesses which basically operate in the United States but put their corporate headquarters in another country um, and thereby are able to avoid most corporate taxes just by doing that. Having them, we have them re- a, uh, excuse me one sec. We've got a caller because we're, we're off in about two minutes. And I, I just want to uh, – 413, are you there? I'm here. Do you have a question? Yes, I do. Uh, it's Silas Kane calling. I've been listening for the last eight Hi, minutes. Hi, Silas. How, How are, are you, you, sir? Nice to I'm great. meet you, kind of. Thank you. I'm sitting here frothing at the mouth. Well, froth uh, quickly. Quickly. Fro- okay, very quickly. Quickly, I agree. We've got to do away with corporate taxation. However, we need a flat tax in this country across the board, like Steve Forbes said 20 years ago. And that would That's have a, a huge stimulating influence. That, that is the first thing we need. I'm a small businessman. I am taking 50, 60, 70% less from my customers right now because I'm telling them, listen, we're all on this boat together. I don't want you to think. You don't want me to think. Let's work together, and this is working. I'm creating my own stimulus package in the small business community saying, let's do this together. We cannot trust the Republicans. We cannot trust the Democrats. And furthermore, if the Republican Party doesn't get off this gay marriage thing tomorrow, it's going to be open warfare on Mitt Romney because I'm sorry. I am tired of my old party talking to me about morals when their president for the last eight years ruined things in this country. And as far as I'm concerned, if, if Mitt Romney and his little religious hooligans are going to start playing the gay game like they always do, get ready. Because magic underwear is on the table and open for discussion. <laughs> and I mean that seriously. I mean that seriously. We need to have a real dialogue in this country about where we're going, not only from the left and the right, but from the middle. Obama's not my hero, but I'll tell you something. At least he's doing his best to operate from the middle. And granted, I think his, his stimulus package is too expensive. That being said, at least he has the testicular fortitude to do something. The Republicans have done nothing but whine, and the Democrats are hiding, a high, hiding behind the shrieker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and this has got to stop. 
if we want America to really change, it begins in Congress. Every sitting member of Congress should be voted out regardless of politics. Shake up Washington, that's where you shake it up, in Congress. Wow. And then you're, and then you're going to see a change in this country. Well, Obama I guess you can't, would. Yeah, Obama can't do it alone. And these, you know, we're all guilty of this. I know I am. Oh, my congressman would never screw me. I'm going to keep on electing my congressman because we never think our neighbor's doing it to us. It's always everybody else's congressman. Sorry, folks. My congressman, I didn't vote for him the last time around, and I won't vote for him again. Every member of Congress, I don't care what party they are, they should be thrown out. They have failed. If that was the private sector, we all know they would have been terminated. Well, there you go. A little, Talk about a little radical, bit of, man. A little bit of uh, AM radio ranting right here on Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> How do you make it happen, though? Because people seem not to be willing to do it. Because we need to, you know, we need to do this at the grassroots level. We need to talk to our neighbors. We need to talk to our families. We need to get back into our communities. We're so busy working to pay the bills and have all these electronic gadgets so our kids will be happy that we've forgotten the important things in this country. We have forgotten that the, the basic fabric of this country is embedded in the home. You know, it's all us little guys out here that make this economy. It's not AIG. It's not Lehman Brothers. It's the little guy. I and sure agree with we, that. Absolutely. The quicker we take back our power, the quicker we take back our rights that are guaranteed to us by the Constitution, the better. You know, well, this has got to be a grassroots level. Silas. We were talking yep. about the Republican Liberty Caucus earlier. You know the Republican Liberty Caucus's position on, on gay marriage is that the federal government should have no role whatsoever in determining who can marry anyone else. So maybe you should well, come you to know, us. I, 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 think you, I think I might, but you know what my position is on gay marriage? My position is that any marriage that was officiated by a religious official and signed for should be declared unconstitutional and not recognized we should, we should file massive lawsuits in the Supreme Court against the IRS for recognizing people that are married if they were married by a church official and not a civil official. Married by a legal judge, that's one thing. Married by a church official, sorry, marriage is not recognized. That's hmm. how I see it. Well, that and voting everyone out of Congress might just shake things up a bit. Well, why don't we try and do that? <laughs> All right. We, we're, we're a few minutes past the end of the show. We're at about uh, three minutes after. So uh, we stop being live. The, uh, the Everything that's been said since uh, 7 has been archived, though, so that it's not lost. And this is obviously a tremendous, interesting, valuable conversation and one that we will have to – Continue. Uh, you know, it sounds like we should have Silas on the show. You know, this is oh, the, I'm planning on I'm planning on the blog critics. You know, portion of the show six thirty seven, and that's that's ongoing. We talk about yeah, Silas. Silas, are you still there? I'm here. Silas, I'm here. Why don't you write us an article on the two gay marriage uh, things that happened in Vermont and Iowa? Uh, I'm working on one now because I'm thrilled that Iowa did this. I am so thrilled. You don't even know. You know, because well, especially you know, Vermont's even. Vermont's even more significant than Iowa in many ways. Uh, you know, Vermont, Vermont is Howard Dean State. I look at Vermont as being a territory of the U.S. Um, you know, <laughs> to me, Iowa is more significant. That, to me, is more significant. But the bottom line is, you know, it, it, blog critics, we, we at blog critics, and I say this privately many, many times to other people, we at blog critics have an opportunity to really promote a grassroots level, not based on political agenda, but based on what's best for this country. 
there are good ideas on both sides of the aisle. We can't deny that. To I think agree. that Republicans have no ideas is totally disingenuous. To think that Democrats have all the right ideas is totally disingenuous. We need to get together and say, what is the best from both sides and what is best for our country? Because I'll tell you something, folks. Fifty years from now, Panama's prediction will come true, and the United States will cease to exist as it does today. I, I really believe that. We are well, headed down that road. On that note, we will have to continue <laughs> this discussion at a later date, which will yes, certainly we will. be hey, Dave, a good thing and something Dave, to look forward to. Dave, plug, your, uh, plug the website you want to plug the most. Uh-oh. Well, well, um, for me is the, is the most. <laughs> well, everybody should always visit my site, uh, republicofdave.com, of course. Um, but Blog Critics is a good place to find almost anything you want. There you go. Thanks, guys. And blood critic. Well put. Very well put. Thanks. Very stimulating. We will continue this. I think this. It's been the, fun. I think the blog critic half hour will be a, a real nice segment from from here on out. Thanks. Great job. Very interesting stuff. I always learn a lot when I listen to you guys. Thanks. Have a good night, guys. Okay. You too. Yep. Bye bye. Right.